0: SVO2, I kind of spoke about it in our last episode. It's something that's not really valued too highly when it comes to hemodynamics, but it can tell you a bunch of different things. Stay tuned and we'll talk about it. Hey guys, this is Sean from nursedose.org. I'm a cardiothoracic transplant ICU nurse and this podcast is my way of giving back what I have learned over the years. Like I said in the intro, we're gonna be talking about SVO2 today. SVO2 seems to be one of those values that people just don't really care about. It's pretty interesting to me because it can actually give you a lot of information. Is it information you can clinically act on? Maybe not, but I think it's still pretty important to look at. So what exactly is SVO2? SVO2 is a measurement of the consumption of oxygen in your body. So we measure it at the distal port of a Swan Gans catheter or PA catheter, pulmonary artery catheter. And what this does is that is the most terminal spot for blood to be measured after it's gone through its cycle in the body. So what we can do is we can compare that and tell how much oxygen the body is consuming and different pathologies different things will cause the body to use oxygen in different ways and we can use this especially with surgery patients or patients with low cardiac output or sepsis and we can use it to guide our clinical process so the svo2 or the mixed venous saturation is basically an o2 saturation just pulled from the distal port of a pa catheter and uh, what's pretty cool is now we have some pa catheters that actually hook up to machines Uh, the ones that we use are called the hemisphere and what it does is it provides you a continuous svo2 on the monitor and it's all done through fiber optics you know all that cool technology stuff and you can use it to trend what your svo2 is doing but anyways we'll get into how to set up the equipment for that later I uh, first want to talk about what a normal range is for a mixed venous saturation. So everyone knows for your regular O2 sat, you want something between 90 and 100%. So for SVO2, this uh, you got to keep in mind, this is the blood that's coming back after it's gone through the rest of the body. Your normal range is going to be 65 to 75%. So you can think about it, you know, this number is lower because the oxygen is being pulled from the hemoglobin and now your hemoglobin is 65 to 70% saturated. So those are the numbers that we want to see. Those are normal, 65 to 75%. Now, if you saw that on a regular O2 set, you kind of freak out, right? But here, it's normal. But what does SVO2 actually tell us? And I kind of spoke on it earlier, but it talks about how O2 is delivered and how it is consumed. So those are the main two things that you can take away from your SVO2. Your readings can kind of fluctuate at times up to 20%, uh, but it's not clinically significant unless the change persists for more than 10 minutes. So just to give you a clue of what happens when your body starts decompensating and your SVO2 starts falling, below 60%, your O2 reserves are starting to being used due to cardiac uh, decompensation. Below 50%, O2 reserves are depleted, and this leads to anaerobic metabolism and lactic acidosis. So whenever you see your lactic acid starting to go up, it's because your SVO2 has gone below 50%, and you're starting to deplete those oxygen reserves that you normally rely on. And below 30% is the point where you have insufficient oxygen for the tissues, regardless of anaerobic Uh, metabolism. And this can ultimately lead to a coma. And so there's several causes for a decrease in uh, SVO2. And they come in two different categories. There's less oxygen delivered, or there's an increased demand in oxygen. So what could cause less oxygen to be delivered? Now, what delivers oxygen? What delivers blood to the tissues? It's going to be the pump, the heart. So if there's a decrease in cardiac output, you're going to have a decrease in your SVO2. Now, a second way that there could be a decrease in the oxygen delivered is just if your FiO2 is decreased or if your source of oxygen uh, goes down. And so this can come from things such as suctioning. It can come from respiratory failure, vent disconnection, or even, and this is a big one, is low hemoglobin. A lot of people don't really think about that, but hemoglobin is the thing that will actually transport the oxygen. And so when you have less of it from anemia or bleeding, you can have a low SVO2. And so that covers how oxygen delivery can cause decreased SVO2, but what about oxygen demand? What can the body go through that increases O2 demand Think about it for a second before I start telling you. And just think about it in your daily life when you consume more oxygen and kind of relate that back to the patient that you're caring for. So, some things that can cause an increase in O2 demand and O2 consumption in a clinical setting include simple things such as fever, pain, shivering, seizures, and then exercising. And I don't know about you, but my post-op cabbages don't really exercise that much in the room. But if you think about it, turning the patient, getting them up to the chair, that's exercise that will cause O2 consumption. That'll cause an increase in O2 consumption. You know, you go from lying still to turning. It's a big demand on these post-op patients. So you will see your spo 2 drop. Now, I'll tell you a story about how I was introduced to SVO2 and um, how this whole exercise and turning related to SVO2 kind of just clicked in my head. I was helping a coworker turn his post-op to zero cabbage, and uh, he was on continuous SVO2 monitoring. And as we were turning the patient, I noticed the SVO2 started to drop from 60 to 55 to 50 to 45. And it starts dinging. The machine starts dinging. I start freaking out. I'm a new grad. I have no idea what's going on. I ask him, hey, is this okay? Do we need to do something about it? And he's like, it's fine because we're actively turning the patient. He is, this is exercise for him. This is stress to his body. His body is consuming more oxygen in order to function through this exercise. And I I have my quotes up, exercise. So this was like a big eye opener to me. And this is one of the big things where you, when I was talking about, it's not clinically significant if the change, if if the change doesn't persist for longer than 10 minutes. Other than that, it's just a, a small time period in which the SVO2 is being decreased from an increased O2 demand. And it's completely normal. And it's actually something that you want to see because it means that your oxygen consumption is still functioning accurately and now before we get into what can cause elevated svo2 i kind of want to give you the metaphor that's stuck in my mind that i kind of made up for myself that helps me think about why things cause a low svo2 and why things can cause a high svo2 so i want you to think that you are a uh, hemoglobin molecule right? And let's pretend you're holding on to some balloons and these balloons represent oxygen molecules. Let's say that you're running down a path and on either side of this path, you have kids that are just grabbing at your balloons. They want balloons more than anything in the world. And these kids are trying to grab your balloons. If you're walking kind of slow through the path, that gives the kids more opportunity to pull those balloons away from you. Now, if you're running fast, it won't give those same kids the ability to grab it as easily. So at the end of the path, at which point are you gonna have more balloons? When you ran fast or when you walked slow? And this is kind of what I come back to whenever I think about you know cardiac output as related to SVO2. If your cardiac output is high, you don't give your tissues as much time to extract the oxygen that it might need. So your SVO2 at the end of the cycle, your saturation at the end of the cycle is actually gonna be higher because you held on to those oxygen molecules. Now, if your cardiac output is lower, it's gonna give more time for the tissues to pull off those oxygen molecules and then it will ultimately leave you with the SVO2 or oxygen saturation at the end of the cycle to be decreased because you have less oxygen molecules. I hope that makes sense for y'all. That's that's kind of what just lives in my head when it comes to SVO2, and it's kind of helped me when um, I get kind of confused with things. Um, but yeah, so we'll relate it to our next topic, which is the cause of elevated SVO2. So kind of like the causes of decreased SVO2, there's two categories for increased svo2 and that includes more oxygen being delivered or decrease in oxygen demand so in terms of more oxygen being delivered it's kind of what we just talked about is a rise in cardiac output and this can be caused by several things and that includes sepsis which is what we kind of talked about in our svr episode last time Uh, we also have inotropes so things like dopamine they can increase your cardiac output they can increase your SVO2. And then, of course, your devices like balloon pumps and Pella's, that's going to increase your cardiac output and ultimately it's going to increase your SVO2 as well. So what else you can do to increase oxygen delivery is increased O2 saturation. So your FiO2, if you go up on the FiO2 on your ventilator or if you increase the liters per minute on your nasal cannula, that's ultimately going to increase your SVO2 and now opposite of the hemoglobin problem that we had with low svo2 a increased hemoglobin can cause a increased svo2 and i hope that makes sense you know you have more hemoglobin that can carry more oxygen therefore you're going to have a higher saturation of oxygen molecules at the end of the cycle and that's pretty much it for oxygen delivery now in terms of decreased o2 demand causing increased svo2 Um, you're going to have decreased O2 consumption. So let's think about what caused decreased SVO2 in terms of consumption and just reverse it. So this is going to be a patient that is basically doing nothing. Therefore, they don't need oxygen as much. I mean, they still need oxygen, but not as much of it. So what could cause this? Um, Anesthesia, of course. You know, someone who comes right out of surgery is going to have a higher SVO2 than somebody who's starting to wake up and move around. Um, and along with that patients that are paralyzed, aren't going to be using as much oxygen. And then this is a kind of weird one, but it makes sense. Hypothermia, you know, that's the opposite of fever. So if you're hypothermic, you're kind of slowing down all the reactions in your body, all the processes. So you're ultimately going to use less oxygen, uh, and therefore increase the amount of oxygen that comes back to the end of the cycle, increasing your SpO2. So those are the main ways that you can elevate your SVO2. Um, And now we'll go ahead and talk about uh, what we can do to alter our SVO2, especially if it is low, because that's something that we don't want. A high SVO2, you know, it's a problem, especially in sepsis, but it's not something that we actively try to correct. You know, it's more of just like an indicator, like, hey, this patient's in sepsis, your SVO2 is high, your cardiac output's high. Do something about it. So in terms of fixing a, a decreased SVO2, you, what you want to do first is look for your correctable causes um, that are non-cardiac. So this includes things like acidosis, your electrolytes, maybe something that's going on uh, respiratory-wise with the vent, maybe an FIO2 check, something along those lines. Other than that, you're going to want to optimize your preload. Um uh, and so what it usually talks about, you can either look at your CVP or your wedge pressure, and we haven't really talked about wedge pressure. That's going to be more accurate in terms of measuring your preload, but we've talked about what you can do to determine volume status, be it stroke volume, stroke volume variation, SVR, all those things. As long as you come back to see if your patient needs fluid or not, and you can also optimize your heart rates, doing something like pacing the patient. And this is all about normalizing your cardiac output. And along with that, if you have to use medications that increase the inotropia of your uh, patient's heart, then that might be something to look into. And along those lines, you'll also wanna correct any arrhythmias they have. So something like AFib, especially AFib with RVR is gonna be, is going to, Going to ultimately decrease your cardiac output, so you're going to want to correct any dysrhythmias, especially if it's V fib, because your cardiac output is going to be really low with that. Other than that, um, you can give blood transfusions, and this is—I've actually used this a lot in the past as an indication that my patient needs some blood, because if you are seeing a transient decrease in your SvO2 with you know, pretty significant output in your chest tubes, you can kind of go from there and correlate it with a decrease in hemoglobin. So the basic takeaway from all of this is your cardiac output needs to be optimized in order for your seo 2 to elevate. Uh, so what we just went through are all examples of what you could do to optimize your cardiac output, but you have to look at the patient picture and go from there because every patient is unique and they have unique ways for you to increase your cardiac output. And so you should really just be using SpO2 kind of as an indicator of how your treatment is affecting the patient's oxygenation and if things need to be altered in some way in order to uh, optimize the oxygenation the patient is getting. Now with all that said, let's go ahead and talk about the equipment and uh, what you'll need to do to set it up. So a lot of the places nowadays have these uh, new monitors that will actually do continuous SVO2. And this is actually really nice because like I was saying um, in my story, is you can see the SVO2 continuously and you can see what it's doing in real time. And this is really nice because you can see what's happening to your patient as you're imparting some kind of treatment onto them. Um, And so this is all done through a PA catheter, a swan gans catheter. And um, there's some things that need to be done in order for it to read correctly. And the big thing is calibration. And this is something that people skip over a lot. And I'll come in to work and I'll see an SVO2 sitting like 40% and nobody really cares Um, or they're looking at it and they're like, why is it so low? The patient's fine. And nine out of 10 times, the SVO2 hasn't been calibrated correctly or calibrated at all. And so there are two ways to calibrate it. Uh, There's in vitro and then there's in vivo. And if any of y'all know your Latin, uh, in vivo is inside the body. In vitro basically means outside the body. And so the in vitro calibration occurs usually during surgery, or you know right before they're going to place the Swan at bedside. And I can tell you, none of the doctors calibrate it before they put it in at bedside. And so basically, what this is done—you calibrate it before you actually insert the line into the body, um, and then it should be good. But the more common way to do it is the in vivo way, where it's already in the body and you're going to calibrate it while it's in there. And I think personally that this is the most accurate way to calibrate a uh, PA catheter. And so basically what you'll do is you will get a blood gas from the distal port of the swan gans catheter. And what this should give you, we use iStats where I work, and what they give you is they give you your hemoglobin, your hematocrit, and um your SAO2, which is what you need. Do not look at your PAO2 because that's going to give you the wrong number. So most of these machines will ask you to put in your SVO2 and your hemoglobin. Maybe your hematocrit too, but usually it will calculate it for you somehow, some magic way. And uh, these three things are what you use to calibrate the machine, the monitor. And so you can do this. several times in your shift or, you know, maybe once a shift, and um, you can look at it. And if you need to get a venous gas, you can always look at the um, SAO2 from the distal port, and that will tell you what your SvO 2 is. And if it's way off from what the monitor is saying, then it needs to be recalibrated. And so that is the basics of the equipment. Uh, That's really all you need to know. It's Basically, just like putting on a finger probe for your O2 set, but instead of it being on your finger, it's uh, you know shoved in your heart in the uh, PA, uh, the pulmonary artery. So there's not a whole lot to really speak on it. Um, and there's a lot of different monitors. We use the Hemisphere. Um, I like it. You can look at a whole lot of different trends and it'll tell you um, when things are going up or when it's going down. So it's really nice. But um, yeah, that's pretty much everything for SVO2. Like I said, it's really an undervalued value. And it's something that can tell us a lot about O2 consumption and O2 demand. So it's something that you can keep in your back pocket and look at every now and then. Now, is it something that I would uh, primarily look at in terms of treatment? No. But it's something that gives me a clue on what our patient's doing in terms of O2 consumption. So, yeah, that's um, really all I have for that. Uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, Today is my 30th birthday and I'm celebrating it by making a podcast on SVO2. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I really enjoy doing this. you guys listening really means a lot uh if you want to listen to my other podcasts i'd really appreciate it you can either go to my website nursedose.org and i have a list of my podcasts there or you can listen to it on spotify and itunes just look up nurse dose uh yeah so other than that uh next episode is going to be all about interviewing for nursing jobs I'm gonna go over what I did to get my first ICU job right out of nursing school and um, the techniques that I use that I think really got me that job. So if y'all have any other questions um, or anything like that, also follow me on Instagram, it is nursedoseofficial. I post a lot of questions on there, a lot of quizzes. Um, I like educating on there as well. So if you have an Instagram, please follow me there. Um, But yeah, that's really all I got. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I'll talk to you all in the next one. Bye.